What a delightful meal today. You know, I might should have told you something. It is proven true in other times. The more I eat, the longer I preach. And if some of you saw how I ate today, get settled. It was so good. Thank you for the delicious food. It was a joy, and I appreciate that so much. I guess you've heard about the little boy and his prayer. He came into church, and he sat down, and he said, Now lay me down to sleep. The sermon's long, and the subject's deep. If he should quit before I wake, somebody give me a little shake. So we may have to be shaking one another in a few minutes. Yeah, I, heard, I said that only because I heard someone back there say, hmm, we've ate, we've sat for a few minutes, now I'm ready for a nap. So we, I, I dare you to try almost as far as that's concerned. What a great cloud of witnesses. Can you imagine the great, wonderful gathering that one day it is going to be. I have the blessing over and over going to places such as here today and throughout the land, several meetings a year, and I've often thought about how wonderful it would be to take the best of the best of every congregation and have that as the place where you worship. Now, that's somewhat cosmetic when we think about our land and our time together here. But is that not a great description of what it will be one day? You see, those that are half-hearted, those that are lukewarm, those that are not really doing the will of God, tragically will not be in heaven. The ones that will be there at that greatest of all homecomings and the greatest of all gatherings will be the faithful. I purposefully did not ask for him to lead the song. I just wanted to maybe have our eyes on it for right this very moment and focus. The words of which at the sounding of the trumpet when the saints are gathered home, we will greet each other by the crystal sea with the saints and all the saved ones there awaiting us to come. What a gathering that will be. Polishing the pulpit is not too far from here. I've been attending since 2011. This past year was a phenomenal gathering. 4,500 and some odd people altogether registered for that event. It was some of the greatest fellowship and singing and preaching this side of heaven that I have ever participated in. Truly, what a gathering that was. In some of the ballrooms, the exhibit hall and so forth, hundreds and hundreds to gather were singing God's praise. This morning we notice the fact that we are mere pilgrims and strangers in this land. That's in the Bible class. We're sojourning. This isn't our home. We're merely passing through. And as I particularly might look at not only that passage, but the mansion that is prepared, having Jesus Christ 
having Almighty God as a challenger of those things that I am to do, to understand that this earth is not my home. Time and time again in passage we read that. But then when I look at literally the house, when I look and recognize the heavenly paradise, when I know that it's referred to as a kingdom, the eternal kingdom, the habitation, the holy city, the holy inhabitants, the holy father, when I understand just these terms in the compilation of all of them, and I see that where I am now for a brief time, James says, James chapter 4, that life, it's nothing more than a vapor. If I had a wooden match, struck it here, and you'd see a little bit of smoke, and then it'd be gone. That's how our life is. But the eternal home, the everlasting life, of which we can read time and again throughout all the pages of Scripture, you see, my life here is only a time of preparation for that eternal existence. And there's only two choices. I will either be in eternal torment or eternal paradise. My Lord gave, my Father in heaven gave his son, and my son gave his life that I might go to heaven. Satan, on the other hand, is working viciously, aggressive, aggressively, and militantly trying to get me to go to hell. And there they are. They've each cast a vote in their direction. But I cast the deciding vote. I make the determining factor. I will decide if I am here or here based upon my acceptance of these facts along with countless others, concerning what God has said He wants me, me, myself, I mean, I'm talking about me right now, and I hope that you're applying it to yourself, what I do in response to the truth of what I find right here. This morning I ask you if you were saved. This morning I ask you, if you were to die today, would you be in heaven or hell? And folks, whether or not we're comfortable with that or not doesn't really make any difference. The truth of the matter is I need to face those questions. I need to ask them of myself. I need to continually monitor. Simon Peter would say to make your calling and election sure. I've got to do that. I've got to chart my course initially making that decision and keeping on pressing toward the mark of the prize of the high calling, Paul would tell the Philippi brethren. I've got to make sure that I am not falling by the wayside. How that Satan tempts me, tries to ensnare, I mean, to take me away from serving God with the dangling enticements of the world. Now, with that in mind, Let's look at Hebrews chapter 11. I made reference to it a moment ago, the great gathering. I believe it's one of the greatest chapters in all of the Bible. When we look at all of those who, by faith, did certain things, by faith, obeyed God, by faith, sacrificed, by faith, built an ark, by faith, over and over, over a dozen times in that great chapter, but notice in verses 13 through 16, as we see literally the statement being made, these all died in faith, not having received the promises. 
They lived. They obeyed. They died. And they didn't receive the promises. That's right. They didn't receive the promises, but they had, having seen them afar off, the inspired scripture says. Read on further. And were persuaded of them. Read on further. And embraced them. Read further. And confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims in the land. I mean, literally, they had not seen the fulfillment, the inheritance, the promises that had been made for which they labored. Now, that's them. Let's make an application of us. Let's overlay ourselves. We haven't received the eternal promise yet, the inheritance that we've been promised by God. We know God is faithful. He'll not, forget, he'll not fail to do what he says that he will do. But I too, I also, as you as well, listen to it. I am persuaded of them. I am embracing them. I am confessing who I am and what position I have. I haven't seen heaven yet. I haven't reached out and touched it yet. I haven't smelt it. I haven't heard it. All of the beauties and the glories that we see in all of the text. But folks, I know it's there. And as was stated of them, these all died in faith, not having received it yet. But they were persuaded of it. They truly knew, as can we. I don't know what heaven's going to be like. I know that the beauty, without doubt, is beyond what my mind can possibly envision. Artists have made attempts at various times in order to try to imagine or guesstimate what it's going to be like. And I have no doubt but what they have failed miserably, the glory of which our minds cannot grasp. But for the next few minutes, I'd like for us to look to the 12th chapter. Now keep in mind, man is the one that divided the Bible into chapters and verses. So what we have is the writer of Hebrews, inspired of God, and he's told us about all of these great individuals who lived and died by faith. They did great and wonderful things. Then in chapter 12, we read the words, Wherefore, seeing that you're also encompassed about with such a great cloud of witnesses. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if we had right now up here around the front of this auditorium all of these individuals who are itemized in Hebrews chapter 11? Can you imagine what Abraham would say to us, what Noah would say to us, what Moses would say to us, what those that walked around the walls of Jericho would say, those that literally walked through the Red Sea on dry ground? Can you imagine the witnesses as it were? And then the inspired writer says, let us. Not just focusing on the past. Not just kind of relishing and enjoying and embellishing all the things that took place. But rather, now he's saying, you let us lay aside every weight. Lay aside the sin that easily besets us. Let us run with patience the race that is set us. And let us look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who endured the cross, despising the shame. Noah built the ark. 
As far as Abraham was concerned, he offered his son. He left his home. He left his friends. They marched around that great city. All of the things that are there. But folks, we must also. We have a work to do. We have an obligation to our Savior. Our Savior who died and gave his all. We do not need those that are mediocre in the church. Lukewarm makes Jesus sick. He spits them out. We read about it in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, where the seven churches of Asia and Laodiceans were guilty of being lukewarm. He said, I would rather that you be hot or cold. Don't be in the middle. You're neither for neither side at that time. What we need is those that have charted their course and servants of the Savior have an humble servant heart and are willing to do anything and everything they possibly can. Why? Because the soul is the most important thing that we have. This Word of God is the only instruction book that a guide and is the guidebook or map that will get us to heaven. And our Savior is the only one that can deliver on salvation and enable us. When we come to God, we must come through Jesus. Christ, the only means to God the Father. Now, what was it we were thinking about earlier today? The yard needs mowing, house needs painting, whatever it may have been in your mind, or maybe yesterday. These mundane things that literally sometimes have to be done. My wife reminds me of that often, and she should. There are things that we need to do of an earthly nature. There's nothing wrong with that as long as we have it prioritized. As long as we're plighting our course toward heaven. I'm sure that Abraham and Sarah had to do daily things, daily chores. I'm sure that Noah and his wife, literally, and his sons, all of them built an ark over a hundred years. But there was other things that had, they had to feed themselves. But they kept their main thing the main thing. They literally charted their course toward that. And I must be willing to lay aside the weight of the sin of the, that easily besets me. And I've got to run with patience the race that is set before me. I've got to look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Now with that being said, I want to offer four key words out of this text. They all start with the letter R. I don't know if you write in your Bible. I guess you can see that I do mine quite a bit. I used to think, oh, man, that's sacred. I'm not going to, oh, but I changed. There's so many things that I could put out there that enables and enhances and even brings to light more of the text of the Scripture. You might want to write these words. We've got to remember the witnesses. The cloud of witnesses that are before us. Here, the Hebrews writer, I think it to be Paul. Others may disagree. I don't, certainly it's not a point of contention. But how amazing it is, if it is Paul, or no matter what, God is the author, inspired writer, inspiration he spoke. But let's just look at it from the first century. And from the first century, this writer wrote this cloud of witnesses back behind us. Now, those people in the first century knew these individuals. They had heard the stories. They knew exactly who they were and as a result of what all had taken place. So truly, they remembered the witnesses, the ones to whom they were referring. The great hall of fame. When we begin to think in terms of every single one of them and how marvelous of a life it was and what great things they did, it is amazing what is found in that chapter. 
And it seems like he summarizes by saying this one, this one, this one, this one. And, and, and if I had more time, I'd tell you about a whole lot more. But here we are now in the 21st century, and we would have to include Paul and Stephen and Timothy and Titus and John, and the list goes on and on. What witnesses that we have? We've got to remember them. I want to always remember the words of Paul. He wrote 13 or 14 books of the Bible. Some of the greatest and most bold declarations that are found in Scripture, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. I know in whom I have believed, and I'm able to, and I'm persuaded that he is able to do that which I've committed unto him. I truly know that my Redeemer liveth, and on and on it goes. I want to remember the witnesses. What Paul wrote, what John wrote, what these inspired writers wrote, Old Testament and New Testament. And by doing so, I understand that truly then I must remove the hindrances. You see, I remember what they did. But now I, I acknowledge the fact of where I am and the sin that potentially stops me in my tracks that might keep me out of heaven. I've got to remove that sin or hindrances that easily beset me. I must understand that truly I could fall away. Sometimes we get a little arrogant, a little overconfident. I can't make a mistake. I mean, I... But how many other great servants of God throughout the history of man and God's dealings have done that? David, a man after God's own heart at an earlier time, looked at a woman and lusted after her when he should have gone back inside from the rooftop. He, a man that had many wives, but he wanted that one that was not his. A child was conceived. The child died. Uriah died. All in the effort of trying to cover things up. Don't you tell me that you can't fall. We oftentimes, I've heard people say overconfidently, well, she made a mistake or he made a mistake and they had an affair and I'll never do that. Folks, it doesn't matter if it's this sin or that sin, even that sin that we think we might never commit. At one point in our life later, we might. Satan is full of wiles. He's evil. He entices and ensnares if he can, destroys if he can. I've got to lay aside that weight. I've got to run away from sin. If David had gone back in the house, if David had followed Joseph's example, Genesis 37 through 50, Potiphar's wife was trying to seduce him time and time again. Come lay with me. And Joseph said, I can't sin against my, my boss, as it were. I certainly can't sin against God. And he rejected and rejected and rejected. And finally one day they were by themselves, Potiphar's wife and Joseph, and she grabbed him by the coat and he literally came out of that coat to get away, to run away from that woman that otherwise would have consumed him in sin. Running is not a bad thing. Abstaining from all appearance of evil, 1 Thessalonians 5, is a great thing, is a courageous thing. Joseph wasn't weak. Joseph was strong when he said, I'll not do this. He's going to lay aside that weight of the sin that easily beset. I'm not even going to get close to it. 
I've got to remember those that have gone before me. I've got to make sure and certainly rid myself, get rid of the hindrances. But then notice also in this two-verse text, I've got to run the race. I've got to do my part. Somebody else can't sing for me. Nobody else can pray for me. Nobody else can evangelize for me. Nobody else can give or partake of the Lord's Supper for me. Nobody can be baptized for me. Nobody can rededicate their lives for me. I got to do it myself. I'm going to one day stand before God in judgment and give an account of Gary's life. No. Randy's life. No. Mine. Only mine. And all the things that I've done, whether secret or known, whether it be good or bad, everything will be out in the open. I stand by, I don't know how it's going to be. I, I have no idea the precise mechanics of what is going to take place. I just know that I'm going to give an account of my life. And I'll be judged according to my, what Paul said to the Romans, works. We're created unto good works, Ephesians 2.10. Titus tells us, Paul told Titus, that we're to maintain good works and be zealous of good works. And Paul's writing to the Corinthians, I'm to abound in the work of the Lord, knowing that that is not in vain, but certainly is profitable. You see, I've got to literally run with patience. I've got to run that race. My friend Jeremiah Tatum at the Willow Avenue Church Runs those marathons. I think he's crazy as a loony bird. I've told him that. I mean, the idea of running 26.2 miles, but he, he loves that. He enjoys that. He's a good guy. I love him very much. He was close to us in Pulaski for moving to Cookville. But you know, when they commit themselves to run that race, that's not a 100-yard dash, folks. That's not going to be over in a mere few seconds. That's not even going to be over in an hour. They run that race from beginning to end looking to that finish line. They run the race with patience. I've got to realize that I have signed up for a service of life to my Savior. Giving my all, giving my heart, my mind, my body, my strength. Oh, that's found in Luke 10, 27. I've got to understand that I, I, I'm not just signing up for Sunday only. But I'm signing up for 168 hours a week. 24-7. I mean, literally, all every day of every year. I don't have vacation off. <laughs> when I'm on vacation, I can live and do what I want to. I can go to the beach. I can act like and talk like and drink like everybody. No, no, no. I've got to make sure that Christ is my life and He's with me at all times. Whatever I do, He's going to see and He's going to know. I've got to run the race, the race that is set before me. Paul referred to it in 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 27, as well as what we find here in Hebrews 12. Know you not? This should be 1 Corinthians 9. 
Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize? So that so run that you may obtain. And every man, every man that striveth for the master is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible crown. I've got to run the race. Number four, verse two of Hebrews twelve. I've got to look to Jesus. Reflect on my Savior. I've got to recognize that he is my example. There's a pattern that has been established. Let's say my hand is, is that pattern. I can't come along and expect that to be enough. I can't just add to it beyond what he's been given. Jesus is the example. His life, his actions, his attitudes, his mind of service... His willingness to love all, invite all, and evangelize one to a million if he could. I've got to look to Jesus and recognize that I must do his will. So I've got to remember the witnesses. I've got to remove the hindrances. I've got to run the race. And I've got to reflect on Jesus. Now, back to our text. We see exactly, or maybe not those four are words, but we see it clearly. But back up to verse 13 of the preceding chapter, where we read these words, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced that they were just passing through. Verse 16 they desired a better country, that is, a heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city, a home. The greatest news that we have today to be, as it were, given or shared with mankind, it's possible to get to heaven. I can go to heaven. Paul would say in that great 1 Corinthians 15, that great uh, gospel chapter, starts off with the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, talks about the natural and the spiritual body, talks about the end of time. And in verse 57, Paul would erupt, as it were, with excitement, and he said, Thanks be to God that giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ, Therefore, he didn't stop there. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in me. Their victory is possible. We can get there. But you know, anything worth anything is going to take something. It won't happen accidentally. I'm not going to just one day say, oh, wake up, I'm in heaven. I guess by man's standards, that would be nice if that could be done, but it's not. There's not a single one of us here accountable to God. But what at the end of our life here on earth can receive heaven eternal? But we've got to do his will. In Matthew 7 and verse 21, Jesus would say in a segment of that Sermon on the Mount, 
Not all that say, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of the Father. Paul would say in Ephesians 3, 4, we can read and understand the will of the Father. We can read it. We can understand it. We've just got to do it. Yes, Father, whatever you say. Yes, Lord, there it is. I read it. I know it. That applies to me. I've got to do it. Simple as that, isn't it? But today we have a culture that says, don't tell me what to do. I want to do my own thing. I don't like the old ways anymore. I want to change things to new. We live in the 21st century, some say. But in Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse 16, Jeremiah pled with the people, ask for the old paths and walk therein the way of salvation. It's a first century church that was built in the first century, applicable to every single one of us. If we'll do his will, we can be saved. The way to become a Christian is very simple. You hear the gospel. You believe it with all of your heart. You know that you're in sin. You turn from those sins. You confess Christ as the true and the living son of God. You're immersed in water for the remission of your sins. And he will add you to his church, the church that was built in the first century. You start that journey, you live for Christ. Oh, but if we fail, if we fall by the wayside, the Galatians did. You're fallen from grace, he said to the Galatians in Galatians 5, 4. But they can come back home. We can confess our faults one to another and pray one for another. And the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. James 5 and verse 16. We can come home even if we kind of wandered away as a prodigal. What's your condition today? If you need to come to Christ, if you need to come to him for the salvation he offers, do that as we stand and sing.